so there's this one thing, and this is going to be a little fun fact that you can now share at like all of the, um, you know, places where you go and have fun facts that are need to share. Um, anyway, so like, for example, I'm, uh, I'm starting school right now and there's all these like get to know you things for like new teachers. And they ask like the old teachers, like, you know, share something about yourself. And there's always like, share a fun fact. So I'm like in, I guess I'm in fun fact mode. Um, but anyway, so there's this really like, I find it hilarious. I'm sure the people of New Zealand don't find it hilarious. Although maybe some still can find the humor in it. Um, but there's this thing about New Zealand that's really silly. Um, so it's, uh, very often left off of world maps that are printed. It's like it sank into the ocean. Um, and I've, yeah. And I've always found that really silly. And when I first heard that, I was like, wait, they're like, hold on. Like, do I, first of all, I was like, do I even know where New Zealand is? And I was like, I'm pretty sure it's like Western hemisphere. Like, you know, it's, it's Asia or like South of that. Like it's in, you know what I mean? It's like, maybe it's one of those islands, but I knew it was like kind of generally over there as opposed to like, like, you know, we're on the East coast US. So it's like, it's not near us. Right. But other than that, yeah. I didn't really know. So then I started looking into it and there's like a large percentage of world maps that have been printed in the past and that are still kind of printed now where like New Zealand just isn't on the map. And you know how sometimes like they'll have Alaska and Hawaii on the map of the US and it's like, you know, put in the corner and like not geographically like located, you know? Well, yeah, so I was like, scale. maybe they're doing that. Yeah, or to scale. Exactly. Yeah. Alaska looks like it's as big as the US, right? Um, yeah. So I was like, okay, maybe it's just that going on. But then like I looked into it a little bit more just like for fun. Um, and like actually like map printers have like gone on record saying like it's actually like more convenient just to like let because it's so far on the edge. And uh, apparently Europe is like always the center of, of the maps. Like if you fold them in half. So it's like so far on the edge that they find it easier to just like let it just like cut off on the printer instead of like actually including it in the in the map world oh map my gosh. <laughs>
So let's chat briefly. Um, those of you who are maybe just joining us because you like Risk, um, like I said, this is a podcast um, primarily about uh, board games. And the plan and the, the project of this podcast ultimately is just to sort of explore uh, the many different types of board games uh, that exist, both new and old, and to see if we think that those old ones hold up to the sort of boom that is the 2022 and beyond in the board game industry, as well as to see if the new ones are as good as everybody says. Um, and if you're anything like me, uh, you are new-ish to the, the genre. Um, and I mentioned last episode, Mitch, I'm curious how many you have. Um, I probably in my collection right now, if you don't count my parents' like game closet from when I was young that we still have, if you don't count those, I probably have about 15 maybe uh, games to my, in my possession. Um, so I'm, so in terms of, yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Mitch is gonna be like, I have 500. Um, so in, in terms of like the sort of board game uh, hobby, we could say, uh, I'm a relative noob, um, which is exciting for me because I'm gonna get an opportunity to explore uh, this now that I've sort of gotten my feet wet with it a lot more and over the past couple of years. Um, and I'm hoping uh, throughout each episode, we'll have um, some uh, guests who are new, some guests who are recurring, uh, who know a lot more than me and can shed some light on sort of, you know, the industry as it happens through their eyes um, as they are now. So Mitch, just curious, how many, speaking of, just so the listeners kind of have an idea, how many are in your library, would you say? So I'm not I'm not at the 500 mark. Uh, I guess I guess in the general board gaming world, you could say that I'm probably a little bit newer as well. I've probably oh, okay. got about 40 games. I would say. Ooh, Honestly, okay. So you're me like I, next year, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like exponential almost. You get one, and then you're just one excited about the next one, the next Kickstarter. Next thing yep. you know, I got like four or five coming to me in the upcoming months, and Definitely yep. gotten to that point now, though, where I am a little guilty of having the shelf of shame couple Ooh. that haven't been played yet on Mars, yeah. notably one of them. Oh, on Mars, the, interesting. The bigger ones. I'm like, I'm drawn to the bigger games now mm -hmm. after kind of like mastering Root and playing Root so much because that's how kind of like we know each other mm -hmm. mainly yep. is through Root. Yep. Um, so definitely I've gotten drawn to like this heavier games, but it is really like the Monopoly and the Risk and Catan and Ticket to Ride that initially got me into gaming, I would say. Yeah. And here with this, and I love that you're um, here to join us for this one, because this is one, um, and I think you're not alone in saying uh, a lot of people um, either last week or this week are going to uh, have pretty strong memories of uh, those two games, right? Like um, most people that I talk to, um, when we think like, what's the old board game that you played when you were young that like, you know, if you think back on it, got you into board games, um, for most people, it's Catan. Uh, and for, I feel like the people who don't say Catan, they say Risk is the other one, right? And there's maybe, you know, I'm sure there's a handful of other ones that are going to get superlatives or maybe even would surpass them. But for me, anyway, uh, most people that I talk to, those two are always in the conversation. Oh, yeah. And speaking of, let's get into it. Um, so uh, real quick, I just wanted, I like to do sort of a nice overview uh, for listeners in case Risk is one that's maybe so old that you haven't seen it or haven't played it, or maybe you're new like me uh, and Risk is one you hadn't heard of. Um, so just in case you're curious about like, um, you know, what it's all about, uh, we're going to do a little basic overview, um, some mechanics of the game in general, the components, that kind of stuff, just so you know kind of what we're talking about. Um, this game, unlike Catan, uh, has a little bit of a lower price point. And one thing we mentioned Last week, uh, Mitch, that you'll, um, I'm sure now that you've um, spoken about your game closet, that you'll find interesting uh, is that the sort of the board game culture tends to have like 
for me anyway, price points that kind of make promises, if you will. Um, so like a $50 price point versus a $100 price point, a, a company is sort of making you uh, maybe not necessarily a verbal contract, but like a, you know, a promise or a contract with you that like this price point yields this type of experience, this type of game, this type of design, this type of play testing, this type of material uh, included in the game. Uh, and for me anyway, 30 seems um, like kind of right in between big and small. If that, it's hard to sort of explain, but like, it's not like one that you could go and spend like six bucks on to stuff like in a stocking for the holidays, but it's also not like a $60, like, you know, Mecca that's going to be like, I don't know, the size of your dining room table. I'm surprised, honestly, that's 30 bucks. I, I yeah. did not know. I haven't looked recently. Yeah. yeah. Amazon now. Yeah. I see 30 bucks. Yeah. I, 30. Yeah. I, I think I bought Carcassonne recently because yeah. yeah. I just never owned a copy for like 35 bucks. So, oh my gosh. Really? Little, little surprise <laughs> that risk is, yeah, 30 bucks. Yeah. Like it's, and I'm, I don't know what it was when it released. So, this game um, uh, is our second oldest uh, so far that we've talked about on the show. Um, and we'll get to that, uh, the history of the game in a minute. But um, I'm, curious like maybe it's because it's a little bit older like the base like the basic risk game because i mean like we mentioned already there's variations on variations of this game i mean it might be one of the most like variation type games uh that we'll cover for the first you know season uh, of the show um and maybe like the basic risk game is like oh that's just the basic version like that one's i don't know i don't know to say that one's lame but like everybody that i know who has risk has risk like colon something they don't have like the original if that makes sense but anyway um so uh mitch i had a question um you mentioned something uh, you mentioned a phrase uh it was the the shelf of shame is that what you said uh, yes the shelf of shame <laughs> oh my gosh okay so i'm curious because so, so i don't have a um i don't know what that even is i'm, I'm interested to see here what um that is i bet you that's a, a phrase that many of you have heard um, those of you who are bigger in the sort of board game world um so shelf of shame tell us tell us what about about this simply it is the games <laughs> that you buy that you yep. have not played yet <laughs> ah oh simple uh, enough okay so you know the ones that aren't as easy to get to the table if you've got friends that aren't as into like heavier strategic board games that's not so easy to get them to play pax premier second edition right. or on mars or something like that but um, my wife is a, a big reader. She's also got a little shelf of shame where she just loves buying books. And I think that's uh-huh. kind, of, kind of what also probably comes with as you get into more board games. It does feel a little exciting collecting board yes. games and, yes. you know, quality board games, so it, which kind of ties into those like price points you're talking about. But mm-hmm. it is definitely exciting getting that new board game. So there is definitely a little bit of a tendency, I think, to want to buy them all even if you can't necessarily play them all immediately yeah that makes sense um and now that you said that i so i um so i have all the root uh expansions and stuff um but i haven't pulled out some of them right um kind of mm-hmm. deal so i could kind of understand i think a little bit of what you're saying in that regard for me personally because like i also have uh oath and i've only gotten to pull it out a handful of times um that's not i guess never like you said right but yeah there's definitely some games that are easier to table uh than others right uh, and that's yeah so it eventually kind of gets to the point where you have like an interesting collection piece uh, we talked about this uh mitch uh, a couple of episodes ago in the monopoly episode right one of the questions that i asked um our guest caleb in that episode was whether or not we thought um as uh like board gamers in this sort of time period right now right 2022 if we thought 
that owning a copy of Monopoly was something that was worthwhile, right? Because we both kind of recognize that neither one of us have like really ever bought that game, but we both have a copy. And it's like, everyone seems to have a similar experience where you're like, I've never necessarily spent money on this, but I still have one. And if I don't have one, is it worth getting? And then one of the things we talked about was like, it's kind of a collection piece. Like if you have Monopoly, like, mm-hmm. like I have, I, like my parents have an old copy from like, you know, when they were kids, right. In like 1960s and seventies. And like, that's just the one that we still have. And it's sort of like, yeah. I'm not going to throw that away. Cause like, that's kind of a piece of history. And there's a chance as like you were saying with the shelf of shame, maybe it's like the shelf of honor. Cause it's like, this is a, a collection piece. Like I might not ever play this, but like there's a time when games are stopped, like stopped being produced. And now this yeah. thing has become like a relic, you know? Yeah, it's almost like a staple of your board game collection. Yeah, exactly. Um, when uh, So my favorite board game, um, which we I'm not going to cover uh, for quite a while, um, but uh, Root is one that when it first came out, I couldn't get. Like, I had no access to, to getting a copy. Like, it like, there was no, like, it was, you know, the supply and demand was way off, right? Like, demand was high, supply was low. Couldn't get it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, we just had COVID and, like, things got, you know, like, supply lines and all that stuff kind of stopped happening. Uh, I mean, yeah, like if you see a game that you like, <laughs> uh, collecting it and not ever playing it might be worthwhile because, I mean, you know, 10 years from now, who knows, right? Yeah, yep, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so like we said, um, Risk is at $30 price point. Uh, it's a two to six player game. Um, so two to six players on this one. Um, six players would probably take you a very long time. Um, two players also kind of seems a little bit like there's a two player variation in the rules. Um, but in my experience with this game, it's usually like three to five. Would you say that's Mitch? Would you have a similar experience? Yeah, I think probably like four is that best number. With yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of board games. How, how many times have you played risk in my life? Ooh. Um, I'd say probably like 40. Okay. Maybe, maybe uh, 40. Yes. Times. Maybe more, maybe less. Um, I'd say that's my ballpark though. About 40. Times. Okay. Awesome. And I'm in those forty, similar, yeah, yeah, and so they exactly. So in those forty times, yeah, I don't remember ever playing with two, and I don't remember ever having more than five. So I'd say, I mean, I guess it, you know, it houses enough uh, room in the game for you to play with more. But yeah, I think that's about right. Um, BGG puts it at two hours. I'm gonna say that uh, that's a little bit on the short end. Um, that's there's this funny thing with board game boxes. Designers who design it play can play the game in five minutes, and then. <laughs> Uh, players who play the game, uh, not so much, right? So, um, yeah, it also so. kind of depends on definitely probably a little short on average, especially if you get some big battles going where it just gets drawn out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Probably, yeah, a little bit longer, I'd say. Yeah, I think I'd maybe put it at like two and a half to three. Uh, depends again, like on numbers, right? Like if you've got five or six, that's gonna bleed into a fourth hour, probably. If you've got two, maybe you can knock one out in less. Um, but yeah, I think so. Um, this puts the age at 10 and up. Um, Mitch, question for you. Do you remember the first time you played this game? How old were you? I would have probably been in like 10th grade of high school. So what's that? Oh, okay. Like 14. So I didn't yeah, 14, play 15. younger than that. Yeah, I was trying to, I was racking my brain because I have memories of playing it in high school more than when I was in middle school. Um, but I'm sure at some point I was playing it um, around 10 or so. I feel like, so there's some aspects of this game. This is a great segue. Um so there's uh, it's, this is a war uh, war strategy game, right? We didn't mention that yet. Um, and actually, it's the first war strategy game kind of like this is the first one that kind of 
sprouted. It was um, 1957 is when this game was first designed and published. And it's kind of the, you know, the paving the way for this new genre. Um, but that's not the only part of it, right? So there's this sort of like heavy diplomacy aspect of this game that I've always found very interesting. Um, and depending on your group, and this is kind of what I was getting at, like at age 10, I don't know that I could have the diplomacy aspect of the game. It's more so just like kind of throwing dice and like doing the battles and stuff. Um, yeah, so I don't like, I think 10 year olds could probably handle it. Um, but the, 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 those like heavier diplomacy type games that are like really fun, uh, you know, I don't know. I think that's more of for like, like you were saying, right? Like maybe 14, 15, 16 ish range. Yeah. Um, that's just my, I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, play, I mean, if you haven't played this game before, try it out. Like it doesn't matter what age you are, I don't think. Um, but yeah, that, that aspect of it can kind of get a little heavy and depending on the group can take forever. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm weak um, here. I'm not going to attack you. Leave me alone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we know that all, all too well. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, we got this diplomacy aspect. We got the sort of war strategy version of this game. Um, and then there's some like conflict and conquest. Ultimately, the point of this game is to like control the world, right? Um, it's rather fitting that it was made in 1957, right? Because World War II ends in 1945. Um, and then Korea is in the 50s and Risk is in the 50s. And it kind of makes sense, right? Like, it's a pretty war-torn window of time. Um, and this game explodes. Uh, it's the 14th most sold game uh, like ever. Um, Catan was 15 that we just did last week, right? So this one edges that one out. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about kind of what you do in the game and stuff, but it, in my memory of this game, and Mitch, I'm curious if you remember it fondly or negatively, um, but in my memory of this game, um, I don't really have any complaints from my youth ultimately, right? Like there's a couple of games I can remember that kind of went south or that maybe weren't as fun or maybe like you get eliminated early or something like that. But mm-hmm. for the most part, uh, it's mostly been positive. Um, obviously now if I went sat down and played, that's different. But when I was like kind of in the heart of playing this game, I remember it being uh, pretty fun and pretty easy to pick up. And that's potentially part of its, you know, success. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. You know, all the memories I have of playing it through high school are, are positive. Maybe a couple ones where the game might've gone just like a little bit too long and, you know, start to get a little disinterested as you know, a teenager might, but <laughs> yep. overall, I think it's like fun just having that dice roll, that instant satisfaction of this kind of big armies going against each other and just vying for do- global domination. So, yeah, I do have definitely fond, mostly fond memories of the game. Yeah, same. Um, you said something right there that reminded me of something uh, really funny. <laughs> so, uh, in this game, there's two sets of dice, and we'll get, we're going to get into the, the nitty-gritty of it now anyway, so this is a perfect segue. Um, so there's two sets of dice. There's an attacker dice and a defender dice, and clear, obviously, like if, you're, if it's your turn and you want to attack someone, you just roll the attack dice, and then the defender who you're battling rolls the defender dice, right? Easy enough. Um, in the game that I had, it was three reds and two white dice, and the white dice were obviously the defender's dice. And I swear to God, every time that the defender rolled the white dice first and rolled a six, I would get so freaking mad because <laughs> then like I can't roll because my like now it's just like you just kill one of my guys and I had no chance to even it's like a sneak attack. You know, I was like, oh, my, for the love of God, wait for the red dice to fall. <laughs> if they're rolling only one and then you're rolling three, you can't. I forget if you even win one or win the kill a guy if you were to roll like a six and a four and a four. Right. If you kill a guy because oh, yeah, you got yeah. one extra dice. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you do. Yeah, I, may, I think you might be killed too. I'll have to go back and double check. I can uh, errata that in. But yeah, like 
it's like the highest number just wins. And in my, and in the version that I played all the time, um, there's a chance that whoever taught me the game uh, taught me some easy, stupid version. And now I'm like, all my memories are, are soiled with that memory. But yeah, like the higher, like if whoever gets the highest of the two, like they win that interaction, right? And then like the loser loses one kind of deal. At least that's how I remember it. Yeah, yeah. No, well, Defender wins ties, right? So Right, yeah. So, who, so when they roll the six, then like they just win by default, right? <laughs> yeah, they win one. And then I guess, yeah, your second dice would go against no dice. So you would automatically win. That's oh, there you go. Yep, that's the part I was missing because that second, yep, exactly. Yep, yep, yep. So it'd be yeah, one so and one. I, I remember saying that all the time one and one, two and one. <laughs> if you're rolling, if you're playing risk like right now, for the love of God, defender, just wait for the red dice to fall and then roll your dice, okay? Like it's, we can all wait a second as defenders, right? <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, this game, uh, like we mentioned uh, earlier that you've heard us talk about, this game is basically a world map. Um, there's no New Zealand and there's no Antarctica. And, um, it's the six continents. There's 42 territories, which is obviously way truncated compared to the regular territories of the world, right? Um, and each territory has a little, like, number inside the territory, um, and they're all different based on, like, their location and uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, and basically, the board's just kind of carved up into sections, and if you have a piece in a section, then you, like, rule it, and everybody just has rule of the board, and then it's just a matter of getting your army to rule the board, right? Like you want to take over and have everything, right? It's the ultimate like global conquest, uh, like style thing, right? Um, and how you do that is pretty simple. Uh, so, you know, on your turn, you've got recruits that you add to the board and uh, those numbers that I mentioned on those territories, they just represent like additional recruits, right? So some continents and some territories are going to be a little more lucrative and therefore kind of a little bit more sought after uh, in terms of like where the battles are happening and others are going to be pretty low. Like I remember Australia being pretty low and kind of not really wanted. So like that area of the board is only like three or four territories. Right. Whereas like, you know, uh, Asia was like a huge one, for example. Right. So like the volume of those kind of leads to different angles and areas where the battles are happening, stuff like that. And uh, yeah, if you want to invade, you know, new, like North America, then you just do. Right. Um, so there's some adjacency stuff uh, going on, right? So, like, you know, you can't launch an attack from Australia, like, to, you know, Africa, for example, or to wherever if it's not connected, right? So, like, on the map, you'll see all these tiles inside these continents, if you will, and then you'll see some sort of, like, adjacency lines. I always imagine them, like, like trade routes, like, ship shipping trade routes, right? Um, so, like, you can only attack an adjacent spot. So, you can attack one that's connecting or touching to the territory or via the ship route. And that's pretty much it. There's some, there's some cards and stuff like that. Um, and those uh, can help. And pr that's part of the strategy aspect of the game. But I don't know, to me, like, I don't Mitch, you can maybe speak better on this. Um, I don't really ever remember focusing too heavily on like the territory cards and the mission cards and stuff like that. To me, like the interesting part of the game was like, where to amass your army on what borders, when to invade, when to back out who to strike deals with stuff like that, as opposed to like trying to match the cards for the, the extra, like, you know, power ups and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of trying to get like South America, like, Oh, that's easy to take. You know, there's just four territories I got to hold. Let right. me get this. You know, you can have North America for right now. I'm not going to attack you. Let me get a couple guys going and then kind of plotting to where when you can get that, big play ahead you got your army ready to go and attack and also you know clogging up those choke points so oh yeah going oh, yeah. through like mexico to get 
up to North America. So um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I remember too. Same. Yeah. The, yeah, I don't know that. I mean, that stuff is important. And if we went and sat and played this game, like that's an in- interesting part of the strategy. That's not like you shouldn't overlook that necessarily. Right. Um, but yeah, like the diplomacy and like the sort of on the board experience for me was always what stuck out. And I think that's a very fascinating thing for this game. Cause a lot of games now um, that I've played and that I'm sure like, you know, our listeners have played and I'm sure Mitch, you've even played. There's a lot more um, interest. It seems in like secret info in a game. Um, and I feel like this one is like almost the opposite, right? Like the secret info of my hand is like pretty much meaningless, um, in terms of like what you're going to do in the game, right? Like maybe the secret info in your brain of who you're going to betray or something like that. If you're doing the diplomacy game is there, but that's no different than, you know, any game that has like, uh, deals or non-binding stuff like that, right? Like that's not going to be necessarily unique. That's just player interaction more so than game design. I haven't yeah. thought about it like that. It's where it is kind of like, yeah, everything's just right there and you can see how many people that your right. friends have in Africa and how much you have in South America. Right. Yeah. Um, question for you. Do you remember, uh, Mitch, and maybe not, uh, if you don't, that's fine. But do you remember like when, when did you feel comfortable enough to invade? Like how many troops did you need? Would you, do you remember feeling like I'm confident that I can win this versus like, Ooh, I need to like make a deal to make sure I'm not attacked kind of deal. Oh gosh! I've, you introduced has it been me too as long? a connoisseur <laughs> of risk, and it has been a while since I have played a game. Sure, uh, I did definitely play a lot. You know, like ten, like ten to fifteen years ago. But sure. in terms of specific troops, I remember I, I felt like I had to have some some cannons, some yes. uh, like, like maybe like one cannon, a couple horse, and, yep. and some guys out there. Where you just, it's like almost like a feeling you get. Like okay. Look, I got a bunch of guys. I can soak up some hits. These mm-hmm. dice are couldn't possibly go against my way. I'm ready to take <laughs> over Africa. And then when you have that feeling, it's usually when you know the defender keeps rolling sixes. They go first and get those nice dice rolls. But yeah, probably like having d- depending on the size of the attack. If you're going on like you know a full fledged campaign trying to take a continent, you got to have a cannon, a couple horse, and some guys. Is what I I, I would say. Yeah, that sounds about right. I was literally, I was thinking something very similar, right? Like I never felt really comfortable with just like, you know, five or six, maybe war, like army men, like on a border and then like trying to pop into one continent just to like mess up somebody's, you know, like recruit the next turn or something like that. I was like, I mean, I could do that some, but like, then they're going to invade me back. Right. I always felt like I needed at least like, like you said, like a couple cannons, maybe cannons, a couple horses, like 15, 16, 18, maybe even 20. Uh, in order to do like something that I felt confident in uh, so that you could kind of do it all at once instead of, you know, the slow overtime kind of thing. Um, you also got to leave a guy behind, right? To make sure right. Every time. Yep. Territory. <laughs> right. Yep. Got to leave a guy behind so you can roll that lone six uh, with those white <laughs> dice on the way back. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But yeah, so um, that's kind of it. Um, mechanics wise um, on your turn, right? You have the option to do absolutely nothing if you'd like, or battle and invade as much as you want, um, as long as you have the troops for it. And that's something also game design-wise that I find very interesting. Uh, Last week, we talked about Catan. And in Catan, you can kind of trade as much as you want with anyone, anytime on your turn. Um, And it's sort of like limitless in that way, which is very fascinating. And I'm curious if, like, because there's not a lot of games that I've played recently that has a sort of unlimited amount of things you can do until you choose to stop on your turn usually like things are kind of structured and limited 
Uh, and yeah. within that limitation is kind of where the strategy becomes because you sort of have to then start to say, okay, well, if I can only do, for example, let's say seven things on my turn right now, and I can do seven things on my turn next turn, over two turns, I have 14 things. So what do I want to do this turn maybe that I don't necessarily need to like sort of bank for next turn? And like, there's a lot of sort of like meta strategy you can start doing, which a lot of players really enjoy. Um, and this game, at least from what I remember and from my perspective from looking at it recently, there's not a whole lot of that. It's mostly like, what can I do now? And how far do I want to kind of risk it, right? And I think that's part of why yeah. the game is called Risk, right? Like how much do I want to push the envelope? Because if I roll like five or six or 10 victories in a row, right? Like now all of a sudden, mm -hmm. maybe I should keep going, right? Like my plan is actually kind of working better than I thought or whatever. And that's perhaps part of what this game does so well uh, because it's unlimited, right? Like, so you can sort of back out at any time or whatever. Yeah, I guess, I, yeah, it is unlimited, but also kind of naturally, I guess, limited by what you're recruiting, the dice, oh, right. yeah. the odds that you're That's true. not going to be successful. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's not truly unlimited. That's that's a fair point. Yeah, because you can't you can't just take in one turn the entire world. I don't think that would be pretty unlikely. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Depends on if it's like the tenth hour of the game, maybe, and you have your entire army on the board. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> um, so the history of this game uh, we mentioned briefly. I want to go into it a little bit more. As I mentioned, uh, 1957. Um, so there's a French guy named Albert Lamarice. Uh, I probably said his name wrong. Um, who originally designed this game and released it uh, in France. And it was called The Conquest of the World back then, which, I mean, that's I think that still holds up. Um, a game by Hasbro. And as I mentioned, it sold, uh, it's the 14th best-selling game uh, ever. So, I mean, that's something, right? And um, yeah, history-wise, um, it's kind of taken the sort of game world and industry by storm, I would say, since its release. Um, there are like way more than 50 uh, other like officially licensed risk games uh, that exist. I'm curious, uh, Mitch, if you um, have a OG base copy of risk or if you have one of the spinoffs, like I mentioned, I definitely have got, uh, it's probably like that $30 one that you buy on Amazon right. right now. It's just, yeah, an OG one. The box is the, the risk box and the monopoly box. I distinctively know where they are in my closet right now. They're <laughs> nice. definitely beat up. They're through a couple moves from like Pennsylvania to Florida. And right. um, it's definitely an, an, an original one. Oh, not, I'm jealous now. I want to see that original copy. That's awesome. So my, um, and this is where we can kind of get into our personal experience and history with the game a little bit um, and sort of like our uh, game journey and how Risk has impacted it. Um, so for me, uh, most of my Risk games are not the original Risk, but one of the um, like licensed, like official other games, right? So a friend of mine, um, another friend of mine uh, plays uh, Risk, Lord of the Rings version, and that's like his big one. Um, and it's still the game Risk. Uh, and in my version, so I had a, I had one of the Star Wars versions because um, I'm a Star Wars fan. And Ooh. one, you know, one birthday or one Christmas or something, uh, I'm sure I got that copy from someone back when I was, you know, 12, 13, 14 kind of thing. And um, in that version that I had, you could play sort of like a, a scenario uh, and Star Wars is like a, you know, war idea, right? So it kind of fits with a war game because, you know, the dark side wants to take over the galaxy and that's a, the equivalent of the board instead of a map of the continents of the U S it's instead like the galaxies and the Star Wars universe or whatever. Right. Oh. Um, but like, otherwise the game basically plays the exact same, right? Like it's still ultimately like you have army pieces 
and you can uh, invade adjacent territories and you're still rolling the three attack dice versus the two defense dice or however many defenders you have. And, you know, you're still kind of playing risk of the board game. It's just, you know, kind of reskinned. Um, but one thing I did find interesting, uh, and I'm curious, um, Mitch, if you ever played one of the other ones, I know you said you didn't have one, but um, you might have, you know, heard of one or played one. I haven't played any of the others. I got my copy of Risk, and then we would just all always play at my house. And that's friends. all she wrote. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, I didn't even know there was like a Star Wars and Lord of the Rings Risk. It looks looks pretty cool. Oh yeah, yeah. There's uh oh man, there's so many right. So there's like Game of Thrones now. Like all the there's like new stuff right. There's like old ancient ones from like ages and ages ago. Um, there's ones based on like all kinds of like you know popular stuff. Like Transformers has one. Uh, Halo has one. Mass Effect has one. I mean, all of these like super popular, famous things. So the Marvel Cinematic Universe has one. Um, Rick and Morty <laughs> has one, right? Oh, like, wow. so it doesn't even just go to like you know other games, right? It's just like it's yeah, it's you know. I bet you, I'd be willing to bet that most listeners either played the original Risk game or they have one that they remember from like you know that they were the, they were a Star Wars fan, so they had Star Wars Risk, or they're a Lord of the Rings fan, so they had that one, or they were a Rick and Morty fan, and they're so like you know somebody got them that version you know what i mean yeah um and in those in those reskins or in those uh, other licensed game versions they're uh have they have like a scenario at least in the lord of the rings one they do because my friend always talks about that one and then in the star wars one there's like a star wars themed like scenario um and in mine it was uh like uh order 66 when the emperor like turns all the clones against the jedi or whatever so there's this like basically like game tracker, kind of like in Nemesis, uh, if you've played that or if any listeners have played that, there's like a sort of ticking countdown until the game just ends, like if too many turns pass. And there was basically the equivalent of that, like every like sort of round, those are stipulations, but every round or so, this like sort of emperor would like move along the track of evil or whatever. And then eventually um, the player who was playing the clones would become like uh, allied with the separatists or whatever. And like kind of all of a sudden the galaxy would just like flip on its head because like the factions that were against each other were suddenly on the same team and it was like binding, you know? So they kind of tried to like recreate, you know, the star Wars universe, if you will, in the game. And um, I never played it that much, but I did find it interesting that they could sort of take something like risk has such an interesting shell, I guess that it allows for all this sort of creativity and all these other like forms from all these other areas, right? Like, the Game of Thrones version, Old Rings version, all these other scenarios are happening within the base Risk game. And like the base, that just is such a good sentiment to how strong that base root, or root, sorry, the root's great too. The base Risk <laughs> game uh, is, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because also you see that with other games too, right? Like there's Monopoly yeah. for everything. Right. Khan yeah. has done it now. Like, yep. Uh, that that's kind of I guess yeah with these best selling games, right? So like Catan, Seafair, or Starfares. There's I see Catan Game of Thrones now. Yep. Um, yep. So yeah, it's definitely yeah. It's I mean I'm we're definitely starting. We're we're coming out swinging here on getting gamey, right? Like we're. We're we're hitting we're hitting the big ones fast and quick, right? <laughs> <laughs> this game, um, we're gonna when we get to the ranking section of this show, uh, I think the Monopoly conversation is going to be interesting because one thing that I can say before we move on um, into like the weight discussion um, and a little bit more of like our game like sort of trajectory before we get into the end, the ending segment there, um, one thing uh, that I think is interesting about Risk as a whole and about sort of 
games that sort of spawned from that monopoly genre is that most of them to me feel like a reskinning of monopoly and i know that's not necessarily true on the surface but like if you think back to what you do in monopoly right like the the amount of agency that you have as a player so you roll dice and then that dictates what you get right in risk yeah. that's true in monopoly that's true that's true in a lot of games that's not just these two right but Monopoly is 1935, Risk is 1957. So, you know, not a significant amount of time has passed uh, in terms of game design, right? Um, and then you have, you know, in Monopoly, you have a single pawn or whatever, right? But you're um, trying to, like, conquer the entire board, just like in Monopoly, just like in Risk, right? Like, you're trying to get everything. Um, you do that with some diplomacy if players are interested and willing. In Risk, you can form alliances and then not, like, I'll... I won't attack uh, South America if you don't attack North America so that we can focus on knocking out player three and then it's just us two left over, you know, like stuff like that. So like we can't win if we if this person's annoying us, so we'll knock them out and then we'll go against each other. You know, stuff like that can happen. Uh, and in Monopoly, that happens too, right? Like two players can kind of like make it so that they're the only two left and then it's like a game of poker, right? Like now it's just me versus you. Um, so that's sort of a diplomacy aspect of it. And um, yeah, like, ultimately that's kind of it like you're eliminating everybody else except yourself and you're taking over everything and you're using dice to do it is kind of the i mean it's a very <laughs> it's a very limited uh take obviously right but i can't help but feel like deep down like wow risk does have a lot going for it and it does initiate a new genre of board game that is very popular and like there's tons of games out there now from this it does still kind of feel like there's not much you can do uh, in terms of how you go about taking over stuff. You can cease fire and choose to do nothing. But like at the end of the day, if the dice aren't in your favor, then you're going to lose the game. Like you're not going to be able to succeed, even if you have the best strategy and the best placement of people and you get all the cards to line up. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I guess the one difference I would think of is like in Monopoly, you have to go around that board, right? Unless you're, unless you're stuck in jail and you decide right. not to get out. But right. you have to roll. You have to go past Boardwalk and Park Place, you know, around the right. corner there. Come up on those light blues that if you got hotels on them, they're they're pretty deadly to land on. Right. Versus in risk, you can wait a little bit longer and try and like plan when you're going to do that. I'm curious what the like RNG would be in terms of luck in being successful in risk versus monopoly would be i'm sure yeah, I'm someone curious could calculate that, that or it's been yeah. calculated but yeah we'll have to look and see i wonder if there's any like risk and uh, monopoly heads out there who've like run the numbers you know um so let's talk about weight for a minute um this we've talked about weight in previous episodes uh and i want to compare this one to ones we've had uh in the past on the show um so this weight according to bgg is a 2.07 um, and to remind our listeners of our other weights, uh, so Monopoly, which was episode one, that game was a 1.6. And then Kerplunk, <laughs> which was episode two, that's our lightest so far at a 1.04. And then Catan last week at a 2.31. And then Risk again is a 2.07. So we're still kind of in that light to light medium range. Um, Risk, though, lighter than Catan. And I'm curious, um, Mitch, if you agree with that assessment, because weight is something that we've talked about as being very subjective. So do you have a do you think that it is like actually less complex and less weighty, if you will, or less meaty than Catan is? I would definitely think it's less meaty than Catan. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. I think more of the weight from it might come related to the playtime. 
Because when I think about we, I don't think just about complexity. I think that playtime has got to have a factor in there. Right. To go play point salad or a quick, like, friendly card game that's Mm -hmm. not going to take us very long. So uh, definitely not as heavy. Um, Mm -hmm. But the mechanics of Risk just don't feel that complicated. I'm honestly surprised that it is even... Well, actually, I guess, I don't know. Two is probably At the probably two range instead of under? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I don't know. It feels like a pretty good number. But yeah, I think that most of that or a lot of that might come from the play time. Like two, a two, you're, cause you're sitting down for a two to three hour game. Um, yeah, that's got to have some... someone who's thinking and wants to build that giant army and then, mm-hmm. you know, backs off from their battles. It could go even a little longer. So I don't know. That That's what my thoughts are. What do you think? Yeah, I was going to say, um, I think it's more than Catan, and that's it's so interesting. And that might be, so last week, um, listeners uh, learned that my experience with Catan is not the best. Um, and in my in my memories of Catan, no one ever wants to trade with me, uh, and no one ever wants to interact with me, because uh, for some reason, they just think that I'm going to win every game I ever play, right? So like I'm like, oh, this will be good to trade for you. And they're like, well, it's coming from your mouth, so it can't be right. You must be lying, or you know, you must have some sort of scheming plan that you're not telling us or whatever. Right. Um, so for me, I found it either like very boring and like kind of like going through the motions or like extremely complicated and difficult because I'm so I was always limited in one of the primary ways that you engage with the game and in risk that didn't happen with me. So I was able to sort of like engage with all of the factors of the game kind of at the same time. Uh, and that balance really helped kind of make it, seem um easy to pick up but then very complicated to succeed in because in my games everyone was kind of backstabbing and having that like heavy diplomacy as well as the invasion and backing off and limiting your recruits on given turns and that kind of stuff um so like i guess the the table's weight if you will was a little bit heavier for that one um and that's kind of in the back of my mind. And this is a great segue to our sort of histories of this game. Like that, to me, I, like, I have very strong memories of that game being like, oh boy, we're going to play Risk. Like everybody's going to have a headache. Like it's going to be complicated. It's going to be heavy. Like we're going to need some time all by the end. Uh, and Catan, not so much, right? So yeah, it's interesting. I see what you're saying though. I could definitely can see that point of like, it definitely has a much simpler mechanic uh, I think than Catan does, right? Like Catan has that. And we're, I mean, when we get into the ranking, we'll, we'll be able to bring this up a little more specifically, but um, Catan's mechanic is a little more complicated. There's probably a little more rules to follow. Risk does kind of feel inherent and natural, similar to how Monopoly kind of just, you just know how to play. And like Risk yeah. just feels familiar, I guess, in that way. And maybe that's part of why it was so successful. And also, yeah, why it's a little bit lighter. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, and so, and also part of it could just tie into like my experience with it. So like when I played risk, I, a lot of it was kind of like, we, we weren't so much into that heavy diplomacy. Some of it was just, all right, I'm going to get a bunch of guys. I'm going to put them on the border and we're going to go attack each other. (laughs) And we're just going to keep rolling. And someone's conquered and defeated. Um, (laughs) So that's, that's part of it. And also my experience with like monopoly, like we would trade so fast and we would play monopoly Uh, so fast so like uh, when we had and we kind of like after we played a couple times had almost this inherent value of different properties so like we had no one orange if you had like almost trading an orange for a light blue monopoly when the person 
trading like an orange for a light blue monopoly was a fair trade if the orange players fork the person getting the orange is forking over some cash so the right. light blue player can get that instant hotels on there there so, you go yep totally i don't know maybe, maybe we're more a little bit of like a fast and loose type group where we weren't so much concerned with thinking about that specific strategy to make sure we're chipping away at, at different regions on the risk board. We're just, you know, like I said, building up that army and going for it. Totally. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And that does that fast and loose style does like, that feels nice. Like I didn't, like, I kind of want to go and play a fast and loose risk game just to like, can I get a different feeling? Cause yeah, mine's always felt like such slogs. Like you're wading through the mud with heavy pound, like weights on your back. You know what I mean? Like just yeah. invading like one, one territory is like an ordeal, you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so risk for me is definitely kind of a uh, the next step from monopoly mm-hmm. i guess maybe if you're thinking about those weights that that might make right. sense right even though I, I think i don't know in my head i would almost justify monopoly being a little bit i don't know if this is right heavier than risk but oh interesting okay. there, there is that strategy where like okay knowing the value of those territories knowing the rng of well, how much am I going to have to fork out to get these green properties hoteled or, or mm-hmm. whatnot? Mm-hmm. But um, kind of going back to, yeah, that was the next step. So like, I okay. forget where I got the first copy from. Someone might have gave it to me. Yeah. Um, and then we just, you know, we we're already playing Monopoly a bunch. So then we started playing Risk a bunch and kind of that, that rush of having those big battles um, is kind of, what i think drew us to the game and why we liked it and, and i think mm-hmm. also part of it is having a good group to play with um, right that's something we haven't really talked about is like that's true if you have if you don't have people that get excited by that by rolling dice and seeing this big clash and risk might not be the game for you i think right. it's definitely one that you, everyone should probably try at least once just because it is so good for showing you what like area control is like what a war game is like and Mm -hmm. it is at the most like basic level because a lot of it is just you know rolling dice do i want to attack now or do i want to build up more troops Um, right yeah it's pretty simple in terms of like what decision to make yeah but then you can start to see the ripple effect of those consequences that you make which starts to get that brain turning on that start to get that strategy element yeah you're exactly right that's so fascinating and i'm wondering the based on how you said that like we talked about uh, like the gateway game into heavier board games uh, last episode. And I'm curious, um, both uh, or actually all three of the guests last week said Catan was the strongest and best gateway game into like heavier board games. Um, I'm, I'm like, so for me, uh, Catan was not that, uh, but risk was. Um, And I'm curious if you find (laughs) risk as the sort of gateway game, for you, maybe it's a different type because like risk maybe doesn't prepare you for the same types of mechanics that Catan can certainly prepare you for. But like my interest in board gaming um, that spawned uh, many years ago and that sort of like kind of rekindled recently uh, over the past like four years or so, uh, risk is the reason why I did that, right? It's not any of the oh, others that I've played. Yeah, so I'm like, I don't know. So it's tough for me to sort of, see risk uh not as like the ultimate gateway right because like i have such memories like when i've thought about like what board games could be i was like oh well if this is like sort of risk part two then i'm gonna love it because like you know of course i will right 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you think risk has the edge on Catan in terms of gateway or do you see Catan still kind of as, or do you agree with our other guests <laughs> from last week? I know uh, you didn't get to talk with them, but so, what do you think? Yeah, you know, it's just, this really, I think does boil down to a little bit of personal preference and right. experiences. So for me, Catan was the gateway. Um, I mm-hmm. kind of like, I played a lot in high school, kind of took a break in college, you know, doing mm-hmm. college things. And then mm-hmm. I went and visited a buddy in, out west and played Catan, and that's when i kind of like really was like okay i i like board games a lot and then next thing i knew and maybe i think of uh Catan more complex as well because I, and then i went on to the expansion so then i got sea right. bears cities right. and knights traders of barbarians um so i would say that Catan is probably a better gateway but yeah um, interesting okay risk still definitely i think open you up to that and, and maybe one of the things that we haven't talked about as well is a little bit why it is could or, or could not be a good gateway is because oh yeah of the player getting knocked out like i remember it feeling bad when right. you were like got knocked out first early and you're kind of like all right now i'm just gonna you know, watch for the rest of the game right um, yeah player elimination I think that was kind of a bad feel yeah, that definitely turns people away. And if Risk and Monopoly are the two games you remember and then you haven't played board games since then, listener, I, I implore you, um, games now aren't like that, right? <laughs> like, player elimination is a rarity in games uh, in, like today, right? Yeah, it's a very like old trope. And you're right, like in terms of the best gateway, for me it was Risk, but uh, yeah, I think in terms of what a game can sort of prepare you for mechanically, what it can teach you about like what a game can do, stuff like that. Yeah, you're probably right. I think objectively Risk doesn't succeed as well as Catan in that way, right? Because there's no player elimination and there's like constant interaction that's sort of suggested, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Would you, uh, how would you answer this question? Then we'll get into the ranking, the ultimate ranking segment, right? Done, done. Um, (laughs) So uh, do you think Risk is a game that um, people sort of uh, either who, have played it before but i haven't played it in a while or just people who maybe haven't heard of it before do you think it's something that's worth seeking out or is it one of those like you had to play it back in the day but now it's like kind of old news oh it's such a good question (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i don't know i have like really good memories of playing it from so long ago and i honestly Mm -hmm. would just kind of like talking about it and you know thinking about these past experiences it, it really does have me interested in playing it again trying mm-hmm. to get it to the, to the table sometimes seem because it is something that you can play with friends that aren't heavy board gamers but i think short answer yes everyone should seek it out and try to play ah, it at least once very nice yeah whether or not you want to buy a copy for a friend or you want to like buy a copy for a group that you guys can play or whatever or just find a used i mean you can find used copies this is one of those like italian like everyone's going to have a copy of some version of it right um and to sort of piggyback on what miss just said i think in terms of like, should everyone play or not? Um, if you are interested in a game like this, that's sort of like the uh, the the start. Like this is a sort of a history piece, right? Like if you were interested in sort of how strategy war games got their start, Risk is how they got their start. And if you're interested in just sort of seeing the development of that genre, which is a very fascinating thing to witness over time, um, it's worth playing. And the best part of it too. If you don't want to play the like world conquest version, you can play one of the fifty. It feels like hundreds of the iterations of the game. So if you're a huge Game of Thrones fan, uh, well, Game of Thrones Risk is a thing you can play, right? And you can kind of get a feel for 
risk as it was in 1957, although clearly there's been some modifications and game development changes, uh, and the scenarios are going to be different, and of course, right? But the sort of core game and the core experience is going to be there, and then you can play a reskinned, quote-unquote, version that fits, you know, what you're interested in. Like, I was super into Star Wars and and also liked Risk, and it was like a marriage of two, you know, perfectly fitting things, and then, like, of course, I played the hell out of it and loved it, right? And that can happen um, potentially too, right? Like if you're like, ah, I don't know, risk, like, ugh, right? But, you know, I love Rick and Morty. Let me see what, what they did with that, right? <laughs> and that sort of curiosity could lead you to experiencing a piece of history along the way, which is pretty nice. Um, all right, let's rank this, let's rank this bad boy. Um, so Mitch, here's how this kind of goes. Um, the, there's, there are no rules. Uh, that's the best part. Um, right now, uh, and this is like, as we, as we kind of cover more games and talk about them, um, where I just think it's going to be fun to sort of say like, hey, like let's put them up against each other and maybe like have a conversation about like which one we think we'd either rather play or is better or is more important or whatever. And there's no rule as to like which thing carries more or less weight. That's just kind of the beauty of the conversation. Um, so right now the list is first Catan, second Kerplunk, and then third Monopoly. So thirds in the gutter or thirds in the gutter. Let me say that again. <laughs> So Monopoly uh, is in the gutter, uh, uh, edged out by Kerplunk in episode two. Um, since well, I have a feeling based on how our conversation went that it's going to um, climb as opposed to fall. So how about we start at the bottom and then we see how high up it'll go. Does that sound good? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, so we've talked about Monopoly and this is actually kind of perfect because we were talking about Monopoly just a minute ago um, in this game. So um, do we feel like uh, Risk belongs above or below Monopoly? I think I have my answer long and short version of it, um, but I am curious if you either would rather play one versus the other or if you think one's more important than the other or just kind of what your thoughts are if you had to weigh those two against each other. Like, is it basically like Monopoly is at the bottom and I can only put Risk above or below it? So yeah, like if Risk doesn't pass Monopoly, then it stays at the bottom or it keeps climbing up. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. I... What do you think? And we'll like we'll come to a consensus together after we both kind of share our thoughts. I would probably put it above Monopoly. I I do like Monopoly, or I I had great memories playing Monopoly. I, I wouldn't mm -hmm. I wouldn't play it play it today, just knowing all ah, the other see? board game options. See that exactly are available. That's, that's that's why Monopoly's third because of that little caveat that you just said. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's I guess a big caveat, huh? But I would put it. Yeah, it's a big caveat. Kerplunk or and I would put them both above Kerplunk. Oh, interesting. Okay, so yeah, so why would you put Monopoly? Um, why would you put Risk above Monopoly? Do you have a specific thing that's standing out in your mind? It would probably be just because, like, I I could envision myself and, and would enjoy going and playing Risk tomorrow right. night. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, like know. you said, you're looking forward to playing it again, maybe, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know that I would, you know, be excited about going and getting Monopoly to the table right now. Although I had, you know, a lot of great experiences with it, I would be excited at, at giving Risk a shot here. Yeah, that's fair. And I think that's part of this too, right? Like we're we're people who have board games and maybe even a big collection. And like part of what we all want to do is just like kind of play them with our friends and with our peers and like have a good time in that environment. Um, and yeah, for me, like Monopoly doesn't yield a... Uh, atmosphere or a game uh, like space that would be as comfortable as risk would be. Um, and that's like, 
like I, I and like we've said before, like a lot of this is going to be subjective, and that's kind of the beauty of it because people are going to be like, Monopoly is the best game, blah blah, right? Um, but not for us. Um, but yeah, so like, will I play Monopoly today? Today, no. Would I play Risk today? I mean, maybe, and definitely better chance of playing it than playing Monopoly. So yeah, I think in terms of uh, like likelihood of getting it out and wanting to play it, uh, Monopoly definitely loses that battle. But I can say. Um, in terms of like which like because and this is something that's interesting about this way this has gone so far Monopoly has a lot of history points and a lot of legacy points um, and there's a pretty good argument to be made that risk doesn't exist if Monopoly doesn't come first um, but the legacy argument is also tough because like history like things that happened before something else like like people oftentimes say like you know Mario is exists and therefore these other things exist in terms of video games or if you look at like card games right like uno exists because of x or y or z like there's all these sort of things you can just sort of track through time um that are being developed in different parts of the world um and there are some like legitimate predecessors to games like this game legitimately yielded a new game and you can track a designer's progress i don't know if i buy into exactly that risk and monopoly like risk exists because monopoly was first like i know that it technically was by 20 years right but like i don't know how much of the game design even though it feels similar i think that's just a product of the time and like where board games were more so than like monopoly invented something so new and so amazing that Mm -hmm. like all these other games started to sort of take from that and then like iterate on it um but i mean again i could be wrong and like you might me may disagree but like to me it just doesn't feel as mind-blowingly new and innovative uh, as like it maybe seems based on the fact that it was 20 years prior yeah so there so for me i think therefore risk goes ahead of it that's kind of my my thinking i mean we talked about how they are similar but it also i I think there are enough differences between them that they feel distinct enough on their own and I, i would agree with you that we could put risk ahead of monopoly so here comes an interesting one, and I don't know how well you know the game Kerplunk, <laughs> but uh, Kerplunk is um, currently our second best um, and our second worst. Right? We only have three so far. Um, so uh, Kerplunk, uh, just to remind everyone, and also maybe Mitch to kind of bring you up to speed, Kerplunk is a game that is a cylinder, and it's got uh, these like spaghetti string like pieces through the middle of it, uh, and you can pull one out. And if you pull one out uh, and marbles that are suspended in midair fall through, then you have to collect those. And at the end of the game, whoever collects the most marbles loses. So you kind of want to pull ones that make it so that no marbles fall. Similar to how in Jenga, you want to pull bricks that don't cause the structure to collapse. Um, So this one is going to be interesting because these games could not be more different. Um, I can say I'll give like if I was going to put Kerplunk ahead, Though I think the main thing that I could say with it is that it would be easier to get a game of Kerplunk than it would be to get a game of Risk. Like oh, if yeah. you if you've got a um, a group of people who maybe are like let's say you're uh, meeting like a new group of people like you just moved to a new place and you're looking for a board game group and you meet like five people you've never met before and everybody's like let's play something right. Um, mm-hmm. It would be easier to meet and talk to those people and play something like Kerplunk than it would Risk. And more often than not, those people are going to say like, ew, risk, I want to play something else. Whereas Kerplunk, I feel like does have a little bit of an edge because it's so unique and so short and so like weird and nostalgic in a unique and short way that it's like, ah, fuck it. I'll play a 15 minute game of Kerplunk. Why not? As opposed to a, you know, three hour risk game. 
Yeah, no, that's, that's, I mean, that's a really good piece. I guess you got to like think about, I guess we're trying to rank them overall, yes. like not just for board right. gamers. Cause right. it, I, I love the, having those games. I think they're definitely important to have as part of like a board game collection as you build them. Like I have got right. point salad. We could play mm-hmm. that in 15 minutes. You know, you build right. a salad. I've got right. the right. mind where you're just like, silently trying to place your cards in order so i I think it is great to have those games where Mm -hmm. maybe you are playing risk tonight but you just want to warm up and have fun for a few minutes and Mm -hmm. those games are great to have uh, in the collection so i I, honestly i don't really remember kerplunk but i'm looking at it on bvg right now totally totally. (laughs) it's such an interesting thing to look at (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i i can envision what you're saying like how it is good to just quickly get to the table i think overall though for like board gaming as a whole i would have to put risk above it okay yeah what's what is it that's causing you to hesitate for kaplunk ahead what's that what is it that risk has that's really like hitting home for you i just like that it does have a little bit more depth you're gonna have a longer experience you're gonna be pitted more violently against your that's uh, true friends. that's very true um, <laughs> monopoly has some violence but it's not built into the game it's anger because of the game <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i i don't i guess i it may be a bias because i never played Kerplunk, but i i just oh, think gotcha. that it's a it's a more well seemingly well developed game and um a better overall experience i'd say Okay, yeah, and um, Kerplunk does have a special place for me, uh, but it did not make me want to play games as an adult uh, the way that Risk did. Looking backwards, like if I look at my sort of trajectory as a board game, like like somebody who's interested in just like what that is and what that means and the sort of the social circle that uh, is and can be formed from a board game experience, uh, that doesn't exist for me today without Risk. And uh, Kerplunk is just like, a, oh, that's fun. But like I, as like now I can take what I've gained from risk plus all the other things that sort of had happened along the journey and I can apl- apply those back to Kerplunk and have that be even better than it ever was. But yeah, you're right. Like I don't have the same sort of like nostalgic feeling. Kerplunk reminds me of like childhood, but not in the same way. It's like, oh yeah, like I was once a kid and this was fun, but not like, mm-hmm. oh, like I was playing something really awesome in this environment and risk does have that for me. So yeah, I think, I think risk goes above it for me as well. Um, and I do think also like as more and more games, as we cover more on the show, there's going to be like a sort of uh, list bouncer, if you will, that's sort of like this game, you know, has to be a certain caliber to get into the, the VIP lounge. Um, and f- for now at the early stages, I think ri- the risk Kerplunk like barrier or potentially Catan and uh, Kerplunk barrier, depending on if when we talk about uh, Catan here in a minute, that's going to be, I think, the barrier of entry uh, because those like, Kerplunk is so unique and so interesting and so silly. Uh, and then, like the next caliber is like something that's so important that it like sort of changes your trajectory as an adult. And like those two things are significant. Um, at least, I mean, that's like me coming at this like you know now as opposed to when I was playing Risk at like fourteen. Yeah. So do we agree then that risk is yeah yeah I think it is um, I think it is and I think the most interesting of these two or of these three games I should say is going to be the Catan one right the two quote unquote gateway games um, 
Catan has a lot of diplomacy and it's technically built in. Um, Risk's diplomacy is not necessarily built in in the same way. You can choose to engage with the idea of a truce or not. Similar, I guess, to how you can choose to trade or not in Catan. But Catan sort of like, I mean, it's called trade, build, settle. Like Risk isn't called like, you know, backstab and battle and truce. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have it built into it in the same way. Um, So for me personally, I like that the diplomacy is built into Catan, even though in my experience, my diplomacy (laughs) memories are risk way more, right? Like, so that's definitely one that Catan has an edge on because I like that social diplomacy side of games way more than, you know, face head down Euro style. Yeah. uh, I, for me, Catan, the, the trading just feels pretty easy. A lot of times, you know, sheep mm-hmm. for a week, sheep for a week or right, totally. for a tree. You know, I right. got a bunch of trees. I, we just rolled a bunch of these numbers. The trades mm-hmm. feel quick and easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've kind of talked about how Catan was my gateway. So I would definitely right. be leaning towards Catan above risk. Mm-hmm. Um it is interesting, you know, going back to the diplomacy of risk. I always, whenever I think about the game, I do think about that one Seinfeld clip. Are you a Seinfeld yes. fan? Yes, I was going to mention this, but I forgot. I'm so glad you brought this up. Oh, <laughs> uh, when when Kramer and Newman are playing yep. risk on a subway, which is the most unrealistic thing ever. <laughs> so, you know, you're I not know, gonna it's so dumb. The pieces. And you talk about how the Ukraine is weak and yeah, the, the Ukrainian guy just comes and smacks the board. Uh, oh, man. That, that is an iconic scene. totally the whole episode man like we don't have to talk about the whole thing but just like they're playing risk like basically i mean we talked about how long the game can potentially take right like they're playing risk for the length of the episode which is like three days like oh yeah it's 30 minutes but like it's three yeah (laughs) jerry's protecting the board (laughs) (laughs) so good uh and yeah like it's you know i mean they're playing, I guess it's the only two of them left, but yeah, they're playing that like long diplomacy strategy type thing. And yeah, they're carrying on the subway, which is, you're right, like the most ridiculous <laughs> situation ever. Yeah. yeah, like I I do remember that. And I don't, I mean, is Catan in a show? I guess we'd have to look and see. I don't know if Catan's made any appearances in like sitcoms or shows. That's a leg up for it though. I mean, it's, mine. yeah, it's, it's more important in that way, right? Like Seinfeld thought to add it to the game mm, or to the yeah. show. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, this is definitely the conversation that's this is the conversation that's tricky, I think, because they both feel similar. And it's almost like Catan is the so here's what I'm here's how I'm kind of thinking about it at the moment. Like risk is the Catan of war strategy, and Catan is the risk of Euro sort of tableau builder. Uh, optimization puzzle type games does that sound like gibberish or something interesting (laughs) no it sounds pretty interesting i mean yeah it's almost like they're doing the same thing for their respective genres and it's almost a matter of like which genre strikes you the most and therefore that's the one that you'll kind of go with maybe because i feel like risk is Catan. it's just not it's just a different genre of game like there's no i mean Catan has those knights which are like useless right and like, but there's no battling and there's no war. Like it's area control, but I mean, there's a lot more to it that we talked about last week, right? But risk yeah, has a lot it... more like war strategy, like fighting. It feels like conflict, which is fun because like you can't really do that in real life. Whereas like I can trade you like you know my lunch, I can trade you PB and J for your 
chicken salad. Like that's almost like a Catan trade, right? Like I'll take the sheep. I don't want you give me the wheat and then like, we're good. You know, <laughs> it feels like, a, yeah. like you do that every day. I guess kind of sounds like you're comparing like Catan is more the Euro where there is less like, don't attack me. Like, in, right. Like there's less interaction. In right. Yeah. Less interaction. So it's in Catan. It's more of, I'm just building my roads here. I'm just getting my income, building my cities, right. doing my thing. Um, Looking for 10 points and then ending the game as opposed to eliminating players. That is something, I don't know if that's where you were headed, but that is something I could say we could notch down for risk is like the end game of Catan feels better than the end game of risk does to me. Yeah, because you can kind of get that reveal of the victory point cards that you've taken from, I forget the specific name of the action, basically like crafting. Yeah, the equivalent. Wheat and an ore. Right. Where you take one of the secret cards and like, oh, I got just got the longest road. Now I play my other card and it's like boom, ten points. Totally. Versus, yeah. yeah. Risk, yeah, risk is like that the longs. final like yeah. <laughs> big battle or I'm coming at you and in terms of epic finishes, I mean I mean I don't think cinema we didn't talk about cinematics at all, because this isn't a cinema, but this, the like sort of drama and cinema cinematic feel of risk definitely is higher for me. Like I can sort of picture the like epic, like galactic conquest style, like, you know, war strategy or whatever. Whereas Catan just feels kind of like, let me just build a civilization, which is still epic in its own way, but doesn't have the like pizzazz uh, that, you know, epic cannon fire or whatever does. Yeah. I think, also, though, if you're not that person that's in that epic battle, if you're one of the two or three people that got eliminated, mm-hmm. that it doesn't hold the same weight for you. Like, it's not as exhilarating seeing these yeah. attacking armies conquering this, like, giant defensive army that should never happen or or a totally. defensive army with, like, two guys making a, <laughs> an incredible stand. Right. So, yes, there, there is that big thematic, but I think it's easier for the general population to get more excited about getting really close to 10 victory points or like oh man if i would have just got on that nine right there if i would have gotten right one more dice roll earlier that went my way i could have had that that uh, wood and the brick to build the road i needed or build the settlement i needed where that's what i think brought me back to Catan a lot where yeah. i was excited about that possibility yeah that's fair and i think you're right like i as much as it, as much as my Catan experience is not as good as my risk experience from before, I do think now today Catan is probably better. Um, and I think, and it sounds like you're leaning that way too. And I think I'm, I'm okay with it maintaining its number one spot and having risk slide in as number two, because I do feel like if you're, if you have a situation where you've got like four friends, like having all four friends stay engaged with the whole game the whole time is way more important to me than eliminating two of them. So then they go and like watch TV or like play on their phone for two hours while we, while two other friends finish. You know what I mean? Like it seems yeah. like a better experience would be had in a Catan game. If you only had, like if you had, you know, three friends over from high school or college, you hadn't seen in ages and you wanted to play something. The Catan game is probably going to be better for everyone on average is what I'm now thinking. Um, even, even if, and like, again, it depends if your group loves risk, then by all means. Right. But yeah, I do think in a vacuum, it does have an edge in that way. Design wise. Yeah. And, you know, add on like risk has got different variables or different 
reprints, like mm-hmm. yeah, the variations are one, the right. Lord of the Rings, but Katana's got the good expansions to kind of add variability to the game, which Katana mm-hmm. I think is probably a, a higher price point, but um, it is, yeah, it's at fifty, yeah. Yeah, and that's true. And so Katana has expansions versus risks like reskinnings or you know variations. It's like the same game but new. It doesn't add anything to the base game. Yeah, that's true. So like Katana does kind of have like that sort of expansive uh, game design where they've like added things to the core game as opposed to you know making a different version of the same game. That's probably more of a uh, Catan was 1995 and Risk was 1957 thing as opposed to like game design thing. But like if I was like, if I'm a game designer looking at Risk right now, I'm not like I am in terms of how to expand it. Right. Like I don't know that Risk has enough depth because it's, I feel like it's so like bare bones, which allows players to sort of interact with it in unique and interesting ways and kind of take it in a way that they want. But that, since it's so bare bones, it's hard to like know how exactly to expand it. That gives players an additional thing that they can do in the game. You know what I mean? Other than like a new gimmick, like this type of warrior does four dice instead of three, you know, something like that, which that doesn't really expand. That just kind of like, I don't know. It just like remakes like a specific unit or something. I don't know. It doesn't feel the same. Fair. Well, yeah. They, they, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, Catan number one. Risks sliding in is number two. Um, I'm curious if anything can topple Catan um, as we go. Season one, uh, listener, you'll. I mean, there'll be plenty more games to come. Um, I'm wondering if uh, it'll survive this entire season, or if something can usurp it. I definitely know of some games that are coming up that will be funnier to have as number one for sure. <laughs> And there's a chance that since there are no rules officially, it'll just be, it'll come down to, is this game funnier to have it go above or not? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. Getting Gamey is produced by me, Mark Overstreet. Music by pixabay.com.